Welcome to the Magic Time Podcast, proudly brought to you by Firm Foundation Media. Well, good afternoon and welcome to episode 15 of the Magic Time Podcast. I'm Scott Squires and pleased to be joined once again by the head coach of the Moncton Magic, Joe Salerno. Good afternoon, coach. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. How you doing? Doing very well. I'm very excited that uh, it's almost the end of February because for me, I'm more of a warmer weather guy. So it's all about getting through January and February and I can see the finish line. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so can my, my kids. Like they're, they're starting to hit cabin fever a little bit. And I mean, uh, my son was out shoveling the, the driveway today because he wanted to, to shoot some baskets outside. So uh, I think everyone's on the, the same page. Looking forward to the better weather here. Well, uh, it's just around the corner. Milder temperatures ahead. The kids will be able to get out and, and start doing some outdoor activities. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. So a uh, couple things to cover here uh, before we get to talking about your matchup tomorrow at the Coliseum against the Kitchener-Waterloo Titans. First time that the Titans are visiting Moncton this season. But let's go back to uh, this past Sunday. Another kind of tough, grindy, gritty affair against the Halifax Hurricanes, the second time that you'd seen them in just over a week. Uh, Hurricanes coming out with an 81-73 uh, victory. And, and for you, Coach, I'm sure there was lots for you to think about and talk about after that one, but what were a couple of key takeaways that you took from that game? Well, I mean, first and foremost for myself, um, I, I don't think that we competed you know, with the energy and kind of effort needed, you know, to beat Halifax on a, on a consistent basis. Um, you know, th this is a team, the Halifax, you know, they, they have multiple guys, five to, to eight guys on that roster that have, that have played for that organization for two to three years. And they're just, they're, there's, they have such a great familiarity with each other and it just makes them so, so tough to, to play. You literally have to bring your best effort, um, you know, for, for 48 minutes or as close to that as possible. And, and I just didn't see that. I didn't see that from, from our guys um, in that game, at least not consistently. And, you know, when I, when I watched the, the tape afterwards, I think I was even a little more kind of disappointed by it, um, you know, for the fact if you flip on our, our game the previous week, you know, nine days earlier, you know, I didn't think there was any letdown from, from start to finish on any possession. And, uh, you know, that's how you have to play to, to try to beat that team. So I just don't think we, you know, we had the, the effort that was required to, to win that game. And I can't really put my finger uh, on it as to why, um, you know, so that, that was disappointing. Um, obviously, offensively, Halifax played another great game against us defensively. You know, I think they, they continue to kind of take us out of some of the stuff that we like to do. Um, you know, we're a perimeter oriented team. And, um, you know, if they're taking that away from us and they're really running us off the line and, and kind of bringing us into those bigger defenders inside, it, it makes it tough for us. Um, so we, we certainly have to kind of revisit, you know, what we're going to do offensively against that team, you know, in our next meeting with them, uh, which is, you know, just a, a couple of weeks away. And coach, something you hear all the time when you're talking about basketball is matchups, how teams match up against one another, but then individuals, how this guard matches against that guard. And something that my broadcast partner, Dave Tingley, and I have talked about, and he, he chats about it all the time, is how well, in his opinion, 
Halifax matches up against you guys across the board. What is it about Halifax that creates those matchup problems for you, especially in that perimeter game that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I agree that that they pose some matchup problems for us. I, I also think we kind of pose some for them. You know, I, I do think uh, Terry Thomas, who, who has had a couple big games against Halifax, I think he is a handful, you know, for for that team. Um, you know, I know, I think Dave has mentioned he really thinks. Tyron Watson's a great matchup for, for Terry. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think Terry poses a, a slight advantage on the offensive end uh, against Tyrone Watson. But then at the same time, you see where Tyrone poses kind of a problem at times for, for Terry on, on his offensive end. Um, so I, I, I think it's a, it's a combination of, of both teams matching up pretty well with each other. Um, you know, they, they there's no real huge advantages either way. I mean, I think on the interior for Halifax, matchup-wise, you know, I think Denzel Taylor and, and, and Jay Will and, and those guys have done a, a pretty good job. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know, Scott. I don't know if I can quite agree that, that they pose matchup problems for us. I think, obviously, when they go with a bigger lineup with Tyron Watson at the three, it, it, can, make it, it can make it difficult for sure. Um, yeah, I think when we go small at times, we, we can make things kind of difficult for them. So it's tough. It's, it's a real kind of interesting chess game, you know, between us and Halifax. And uh, I think you're, you're seeing, you know, we're two and two against each other in the regular season. And I think you're just kind of seeing how, how competitive that is. Yeah, two and two, uh, low scoring affairs the last couple, a couple overtime games. And again, you never know what's going to happen down the stretch, but my goodness, uh, all I can say is buckle up if and when you guys come together in the playoffs. It'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a long ways away, and, and both of us, uh, you know, I think both teams are going to have really, really tough first-round opponents, and and I think there could still be some movement in our division. You know, I, I don't think anybody is kind of locked into into place yet. I think how the fact is, is pretty close uh, to being kind of locked into that one seed. You know, when you look at who they have left on their schedule and and how many games they have in hand against us, um, you know, I think we would pretty much need to to kind of run the rack here the last the last eight nine games, uh, which is a, a pretty tall order uh, in this league. And even then, then so you would need Halifax to to drop a couple more than than just against us. So, um, yeah, I think there could be a movement there. I think both teams are going to have a, a really tough first round opponent. Um, but if we were to meet in the playoffs, yeah, I think it would be a, a hell of a series as, uh, as it has been in the, in the regular season. Here. And we'll move off from that game in just a second. But, you know, we've talked about it before. Sometimes numbers can be so funny when you just look at them on paper. Uh, you know, the score aside, the 81-73 uh, victory for Halifax. But, you know, if you just took a, a quick flash look at the numbers, whether it's uh, field goals taken, percentage, uh, three-point shots taken and the percentage, uh, free throws, same thing on down the line. Really, really close numbers across the board. The two, the two biggest discrepancies, just on a pure numbers side, uh, you guys had a huge advantage on bench points, 32-8 to eight, uh, over Halifax. But the one area that Halifax really had the largest advantage on you guys in terms of just pure numbers was uh, points in the paint. They had 48 to your 34 and maybe as well just a comment on because sometimes games can go so funny and, and I've, I've found that a lot of times on Sunday you guys had some looks 
Uh, you got to run some sets that you wanted, but you just weren't getting the finish at the end. The ball just wasn't dropping for you. How much was a little bit of bad luck at the rim and how much maybe what other things might have you looked at overall that would have been a big difference in turning it the other way for you guys? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it was a very closely contested game and in, in, in the stats kind of don't lie. You know, I looked at the same thing and said, wow, there's, <laughs> it was pretty even all the way across the board. You know, I mean, when you play Halifax, you're more than likely going to lose that, that points in the paint battle. Um, I mean, you almost kind of kind of realize that going in. You just try to make it as tight as possible. You know that that's what their strength is. Um, you know, on a night where we we didn't shoot the ball particularly well, you know, some of that was was credited to Halifax's defense. Some of it was, you know, the the, the ball didn't go down, and, and that happens. But when that's when that's taking place with us against Halifax, you know, you're kind of taking away our our biggest weapon, which is really kind of our perimeter shooting. Um, so, you know, it kind of made it for a, for an uphill battle for us offensively. Um, you know, I, I think obviously some of the finishes inside that you would have liked to have seen go down, you know, I, I keep picturing the, the just wide open, you know, layup that Anthony Cox just kind of back rimmed and you just kind of say to yourself, he makes that nine out of 10 times. Um, but that happens. And, you know, Halifax, I'm sure had a, a few of those not go down their way either. Um, you know, we, we keep saying with Halifax, what we do offensively, we have to be the more physical team on defense and on offense, meaning we really have to, to set and kind of hold good, tough screens, you know, to free up our shooters. It's, it's such a huge thing in, in what we do offensively, running guys off screens without the basketball. Um, you know, a lot of times Halifax can be so physical that they'll kind of just bust through those screens. And it, it takes you out of your rhythm. It takes you out of the shots that you're looking to get. Uh, so I think one slight improvement we could have done is, is, is been a little more physical on the offensive side of the ball. And, and I think that also comes to finishing around the rim, um, you know, which, which we didn't do real well. So it, it's tough to say, Scott. I mean, it's um, they've been such close games all season long and, you know, a couple shots here, a couple shots there, either team can, can kind of come out with a victory. Uh, but I do think we'll have to kind of revisit how we plan to attack them offensively. Uh, next time around and, and try to look for some, some other weaknesses that they may have and, and try to exploit. Speaking of uh, new ways to attack, uh, Juan Patillo brings a new way for you guys to attack. It was his first game in the lineup. You, you worked him in slowly, and, you know, we commented on the broadcast that, you know, it, it appeared just even as the game rolled along that he seemed to get a little more comfortable and, and to find his game a little bit more. But, again, we talked about him last week, but – you know, what? how big a difference is this guy going to make? Because he's so athletic, he's he's pretty big, he's pretty strong. And, uh, you know, I know that you're looking forward to when he gets more comfortable on the floor, on the offensive and defensive side. But overall, how are you finding that Juan is working into uh, things that you're working on the floor? He's just had the one game, but he's had another week now. But maybe just talk a little bit about uh, where you see Juan and, and what you look for from him now tomorrow. Yeah, it, it, it's coming along. It, it's coming along a little slower, uh, I think, than than I'd hoped, than than Juan had hoped, and that actually has nothing nothing to do with Juan. Uh, it really has a little more to do with with our team and, and kind of where we were at. Um, we were operating at a at a pretty high clip there, you know, coming into that trade deadline. Uh, we had been very sharp offensively, and 
and guys were were just really really comfortable with what we're doing and, and I think I commented to, to you guys on, on the game day you know there was times in practice Juan you know he's he's in there and, and he's trying to pick these things up but the other guys are just moving so fast and, and it's it's all kind of happening around him so quickly because guys are so comfortable uh, offensively. It's taken a little longer, you know, than, than what I'd hoped or I, I anticipated. Um, you know, he's not frustrated about it. He's not getting frustrated about it. I think he was he was frustrated with his play uh, the other night, and, and as he should have been. You know, he really didn't have a, a great first game for us, and, and he knows that. Um, you know, but again, I, I have zero cause for concern. I have I have zero you know, confidence issues that, that he is going to be, you know, really kind of that missing piece uh, that, that we have been missing most of the season as far as an interior scoring presence. So um, I made a comment to, to Dave Tingley in his column there uh, this week, his article, that since that game, I really don't think Juan has missed a shot in practice <laughs> over the last couple of days. I, I don't think he has. And, um, you know, he's a he's a pretty competitive guy, and he's always played at a pretty high level. He had great numbers in this league last year, you know. So going one for six, uh, you know, in his first game with us and, and not looking too comfortable in doing so, you know, that, I mean, it, it bothered him. And, um, you know, he's he's taking practice pretty seriously this week, and, and I certainly expect to, uh, to see a much better performance here tomorrow night. I think you mentioned that um, just – Quick thought here before we get into another topic, but you guys had had such a hectic schedule in the first couple of months, and and I still think that you've played more games than any other team in the league, but now the last little while, being at home for the majority of February and having a big chunk of time between games, it's great to have that extra time, it's great to have the rest time and whatever, but from a coaching perspective, is sometimes that, how difficult can that be? to deal with when you've got a game and then a week and then a game and then six days. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it, it actually is difficult. I think it's, it's definitely difficult when you're, you're kind of adjusted to it for the first time, meaning, you know, this had been our first really kind of long layoff in, in between a game, you know, eight days leading up to that, that Halifax game. And, and I, I don't think we, we didn't have a good day of practice or a good week of practice, excuse me, uh, leading in, into that Halifax game. You know, we had played on uh, on Saturday night against St. John uh, in, in a pretty big win. Um, and we weren't playing until the following Sunday, you know. So we, we gave the guys Sunday, Monday off. And then we had practice and film and weights there on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. We gave them Thursday off. And then we practiced on Friday and Saturday. And, you know, to me, it was trying to find that even balance of rest yeah, still having, you know, four full practices before we saw Halifax again. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, it kind of shook us a little bit. Uh, we're at the point in the season where, you know, we <laughs> these guys have been with each other every day since since when? October or, uh, you know, when we started training camp. And they played against each other so much in practice. You know, I, I don't practice more than three days straight at this point in the season. We'll practice for two days. We'll have an off day. We'll practice for two or three days, but but never more than three days in a row because the guys just kind of get at each other, right? It's just you're, you're still trying to have live play. And, and um, you know, I think with the intensity of, of games, the regular season games now, it's kind of tough to kind of put that switch over into practice. And um, anyway, I, I don't think we had a, a real good week of practice, and I think part of that was adjusting to the, the time off, you know. So, 
Um, we have a lot of that coming up in the month of March, and and I think I'll certainly look to handle uh, handle our, our weeks, you know, in between games a, a little differently next time around. You know, we could always put the uh, Moncton Magic uh, ownership group and on-air team. We could we could throw a team together to play you guys in practice. <laughs> yeah, you know that that might not be a, a bad idea um, because it is. I mean, the, you know, the guys they they, they do they, they get at each other and, and not in a in a bad or nasty way at all. I mean, all of our guys really really like playing you know playing with each other. But uh, yeah, it, it's tough when you have you know those eight days. I'd rather play you know a game, have two days off, play a game, have two days off, play a game. But uh, like I said, everyone goes through ups and downs of their their schedule, and we just have to adjust to it here in the final month of the regular season. And speaking of ups and downs, something that I know sometimes, I don't know if puzzles fans is the right is the right term, but sometimes you'll notice fans wondering about it and they and they're not quite sure how to take it. But the trade deadline, transaction deadline has come and gone, but teams can still make internal moves, and you'll see teams, the Moncton Magic included, putting players on a deactivated list or activating players. And I think sometimes that fans get a little confused, thinking that deactivated means that they're no longer on the squad. Maybe if you could just a, a little bit of clarity about how a, a, you know how that works. Yeah, sure. So I mean the the, the league at the transaction deadline uh, well, let's start from the beginning. This league this year the league adopted uh, basically a new league policy and that was that uh, teams could carry uh, inactive players on their roster. So technically, you know, we could have up to 15 players on the Magic roster, but only 12 of those players could be active on a game day. Um, now, we haven't done that all season long. We, we've really just carried our 12 uh, for, for virtually, you know, the whole season. And so I think for our fans specifically now, it may look a little odd or, you know, there may be, you know, some concern or some confusion when, when all of a sudden they see a player is, is deactivated. Obviously, when we added Juan Patillo, there was a lot of comments from fans. Oh, well, why are we letting go of Brent Jennings and, and Terry Thomas? And in fact, we weren't. We were just putting them on our inactive roster uh, for a period of time and, and opened up an active roster spot uh, for Juan Patillo. Um, after that trade deadline, transaction deadline, you know, no teams can add any new players to their roster. So actually, the league recommended that you you know, had at least one inactive player uh, on your roster in case there was an injury or in case, you know, a guy, you know, left to go to another league or a player had to go home or there was an emergency, something of, of that nature. Having an inactive player um, allows you the flexibility to activate him and continue to maintain a 12-player roster. Um, so now what you'll see, because of that transaction deadline has passed, a lot of teams will carry more than 12 players, such as us. We have, we actually have 14 players um, because technically the trade with Marvell Waith, you know, he is on our inactive roster. We, we own his rights. Um, but you will basically see teams carry that as a bit of an insurance policy. But now because this last month of the season, they're carrying extra players. You'll see a lot of teams activate and deactivate guys to either have players rest, you know, looking forward to the playoffs, or maybe potentially a, a player might be a better matchup, you know, for, for this team, you know, than say the other player. Um, so it just kind of allows you to, to use your roster as a little bit of a, of a puzzle. Um, you get to kind of plug in and unplug guys as, as games come along and, and certainly try to rest guys before what, what normally is a pretty crazy playoff schedule. 
So, um, you know, fans really don't have to be overly concerned. I mean, unless you see that a player has been released, and that really is the kind of key word, um, inactive basically just means that, uh, you know, he currently isn't on the active 12-man roster and eligible to play in a game. Kind of, a, kind of a long-winded sure. answer there, Scott. Sorry. No, no, no. And you know what? It makes complete sense. It even it even gave me some clarity on it. But as you were saying it, you know, not to compare apples and oranges, but maybe for context, it's not dissimilar to what the NBA allowed this year with the G League, where you can have two-way contracts. So an NBA team might call up, to use the main red clause as an example, because that's a Celtics uh, minor league or an affiliate team. But they could have two guys that are on a two-way contract. They can call them up, have them on the bench as insurance, and then send them back. I know it's, again, maybe apples and oranges. But basically, if I'm taking what you're saying correctly, and, and to help clarify for the fans as well, the inactive or the active part of it is almost like having the insurance policy for the team to have a couple of players there just kind of ready to go. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and certainly – uh, it's really come into play, obviously, for us more now that the transaction deadline is over, where you know the transaction deadline has passed. Where whereas before, you know, if we had a serious injury or something of that nature, we would have been able to add another player, um, you know, in that player's spot on the roster. Since the transaction deadline has passed, we wanted to make sure we were carrying at least 13 players, um, you know, to make sure we can have a full, healthy roster come playoff time. Um, and that, that's really kind of kind of what it is. So, you know, the only other kind of rules that, that go along with that inactive roster that the league requires as of, as of this year is you can only have up to three players on that inactive roster uh, at one period of time um, and that a player has to be activated at least two hours before a, before a game. Um, that, you know, other than that, um, you know, teams have a, a lot of flexibility when, when they are carrying uh, – a few players on their inactive roster. And you will see most, I think almost every NBL team at this current time has at least one or two players on their inactive roster. And it's a, and again, just a good flexibility for the team and certainly for, for coaches to be able to have. Okay, let's talk about uh, tomorrow's game. You've got a 7 p.m. game tomorrow night, a midweek game. Haven't had many of those lately, but a Wednesday night affair versus the Kitchener-Waterloo Titans. First time that the Titans have been at the Coliseum this season. And uh, they've been through a little turmoil lately, uh, making a coaching change very recently as uh, Serge Landis uh, has moved on. And uh, they now have a player coach. But from uh, for the fans that maybe aren't overly familiar with Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, what do you look for from this team coming in tomorrow night? Well, I, I, I think you, you first look at a, a very underrated team. Uh, KW has an awful lot of talent. And, you know, it, it is a bit of a head-scratcher, you know, how and why that team is, you know, has the record that they have. Because they have an awful lot of talented players on that team. And they're actually a very potent offensive team. Um, they can put up a lot of numbers. They, they put up extremely high-scoring, you know, games against, against London and, and Niagara. Um, so they can really kind of score with, with anybody in the league. And uh, so, so they're dangerous. You know, you have to, for us, you know, we feel we just absolutely have to commit to our defensive game plan tomorrow night. Uh, you know, specific guys, how we want to defend them in specific actions to try to take away some of the weapons that they have. Um, they have two just tremendous interior uh, players in, in Zach Hall and, 
in, in Kevin Rogers. And I mean, both of those guys can score inside and out and you, you pair them with a couple of very dynamic point guards, um, you know, in, in, in Starks and, and actually Dominic Phillips, who was a player in our training camp, um, who was actually the last cut of our training camp. They recently added him to the roster and, uh, they're, they're, they're tough. They're much tougher than the record shows. So, you know, I, I would say no team in this league should, should take them lightly. And I find a lot of times immediately following a coaching change, you know, almost by necessity, you know, those guys on that team, they have to kind of pull together. And a lot of times you, you kind of see teams rally, you know, for a game or two, you know, following a, a coaching change. And, and sometimes they play pretty good basketball um, because they're just playing a little more openly and freely and, and there's a lot of talented guys on that roster. So, so no, we, we really have to come to play tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he was three or four from three in that game. He was eight of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, you know, he's gotten to the free throw line 18 times in the two games that he's played. You know, he, he's a he's a very athletic kind of dynamic point guard who has a knack for scoring the ball. Um, you know, I think he's absolutely a guy we would have looked to, to have kept out of training camp. We were just so kind of heavy at that point guard position in, in Al Stewart and Anthony Anderson and Marquise Clayton. Um, but he's a very good player, you know, and I think with, with time, you know, Dominic's going to show that he absolutely belongs in this league. And, um, you know, I mean, he's someone that we really have to be concerned with, you know, as well as, as like I said, Zach Hall and Kevin Rogers and, um, you know, uh, Justin Hurt, who's an extremely dynamic scorer as well in this league. So a lot of weapons, um, you know, that, that a lot of different guys that can, that can hurt you. So we just have to be extremely disciplined we've talked a lot the last two days about really kind of paying attention to detail um, in, in what we want to do defensively, where as in the Halifax game, there were numerous instances where we really didn't execute what we wanted to do defensively against certain guys, Mike Poole, for example, and, uh, and it hurt us. So we got to be sharp tomorrow. And to that note, uh, I know that it's still more than 24 hours away, but uh, any thoughts on any tweak to the starting five? Uh, any other adjustments that you might be able to to let the fans in on ahead of that game tomorrow night? Uh, no, I mean not not. I mean we, we've considered it a little bit. You know, I still think Juan needs needs a, a little bit more time. Um, but you know, they do go very big in the front court, and uh, unfortunately, we're we're actually not going to have Anthony Cox uh, tomorrow night. Um, Anthony actually went home to New York today. Um, he had a couple uh, personal affairs going on and um, he will be coming back on, uh, on Friday. So we will actually be without him tomorrow night, which, which is really difficult when you're playing against, you know, a true seven footer and Zach Hall and, and Anthony Cox kind of gives us, you know, that, that real size inside. Um, so, you know, Kevin Farrell Thomas could, could see a little bit of time tomorrow night. Um, you know, obviously Denzel is going to have, going to have his hands full. So there might be a slight adjustment in our rotation as far as the front court is concerned, but, uh, you know, all the rest, you know, I think will stay intact. Well, that game again tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at the Moncton Coliseum. I would encourage you to come out and watch that game live. Crowds have been uh, trending in the right direction. They've been great the last uh, few weeks for sure. You can also watch it online through monctonmagic.ca. 
Coach, we always like to uh, finish off with something other than basketball. Now, I know that you're a Patriots fan, so we're not, we're not going to reopen that wound. But it's <laughs> training. <laughs> One of my favorite times of the year, baseball spring training. I mentioned earlier about January and February and getting through that. When I know that opening day is around the corner in baseball, it's just another way to energize me. Uh, being from the area, Vermont, New England area, uh, am I going to guess Red Sox? You know, baseball at all? Are you a baseball guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I've been a Red Sox fan since I was a, since I was a kid. I mean, I've really never, never liked any other baseball team. I certainly dislike the Yankees. I, I always have disliked the, the pinstripes. Um, you know, but I think that kind of comes with, with coming from New England. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a real baseball guy. I, um, you know, it's funny. You, you coach basketball for a profession, right? And the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs that kind of come with that game and how quickly things can change. You know, baseball, to me, it's it's a little slow. I mean, it's certainly a slow game. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that would be the number one sporting event I would choose to go to live. I, I love going to Fenway Park. I, I could go. I've been to, oh, probably 15, 20 games at Fenway in, in my life. And, you know, there's nothing better than, than going out there on, you know, a, a Saturday afternoon to Yawkey Way and, and catching a game that night. And, I mean, it, it's just a, a really, really cool thing to, to kind of relax and, and watch a baseball game on a, on a nice summer day. But watching it on TV, I just I've, – I've never really been into it. Um, I find myself watching a lot in the postseason. You know, when when it's kind of a little more intense, and I actually really enjoy that. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge huge baseball guy, Scott. I'm certainly not a guy who knows when you know pitchers and catchers are reporting. You know, that, that's that's not me at all. <laughs> You're not breaking out the summer shorts and the Hawaiian shirt when the pitchers and catchers report. No, I'm I'm absolutely not. I, I couldn't even tell you what month that happens in. Um, but you know, it's. It's uh, there's so much tradition, you know, with the Red Sox in New England. I mean, it's it's pretty rare in New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, you know, that you find more, you know, Yankee fans than than Red Sox fans. It's uh, it's a pretty big deal. And um, yeah, I actually remember I was uh, I was going to school in in New York, uh, New York State. I was going to university back in uh, 2003. You know, when when the Sox came back and beat the Yankees in the ALCS down 0-3, and it was just you know, I didn't miss a single pitch of that entire series. Me and the, the small, you know, conglomerate of, of Red Sox fans at a New York State school. And, you know, that that's a really cool memory I'll, I'll never forget. They actually did a, I can't remember if it was a 30 for 30 or, or another type documentary on that series. And it's, uh, it's tremendous. So, I mean, I was an Expos fan. There's no Expos anymore. So I kind of move around each year, of course, cheer for the Blue Jays. But growing up, we only had a couple of channels, and a couple of them were American. And I knew as much about the Red Sox, Jim Rice, Louis Tiant, uh, Mike Torres, on down the line. Uh, Jim Rice was probably one of my all-time favorite players. Carl Yastrzemski. I, I, I kind of grew up on those kids, so I, I got a soft spot for the Red Sox too, Coach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, actually, you mentioned the Expos. Kind of a cool story. The first game, the first professional game I ever went to, actually wasn't at Fenway. It was at old uh, Olympia Stadium there in Montreal. Uh, my father and, and a friend of mine and his father, the four of us, we took a bus trip up to watch the Expos. And uh, we got there early to watch batting practice, and we were actually kind of out in the, the outfield bleachers trying to catch, you know, home run balls from uh, from batting practice. And um, 
we had one that my buddy almost caught and it actually it actually kind of bounced off his glove and it fell back onto the field and it was out by the bullpen and a, and a expo player picked it up and he actually flipped the ball back to me and it was it was Pedro Martinez wow you know who, who yeah who actually you know at the time I'd have no idea he'd go on to you know me watching him and being a diehard Pedro fan when he played for the Sox you know much many years later um so that that was that was pretty cool. That's a pretty cool baseball memory that that I have. And uh, but I stopped playing baseball right right before high school. I never played baseball in high school, and I played it all the way up through little league and, and Babe Ruth there. But uh, it was pretty much all basketball and football uh, once I got to high school. Well, that's kind of neat. We've got that in common, Coach, from the perspective of the very first professional game of any kind that I ever saw live was. Uh, when I was uh, for my 11th birthday, my brother gave me baseball tickets and airplane tickets, and he took my dad and I up, uh, and we went to see a weekend series at the Big O uh, versus the Houston Astros. And at the time, the Expos were in the heat of the pennant race, so my first professional game ever was at the Big O as well. So that that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's you know, you, you just don't forget those 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 events and those times. And I mean, I you know, I remember my my first. NBA game was at the old garden um, and it was Celtics Knicks, you know, which was, was really kind of cool. And, you know, my first Patriots game and no, you, you just, you don't ever forget those, uh, those stories, you know, which is, which is great. And I can tell you, you said that baseball can be hard to watch on TV. I can tell you there's been occasions where I have called baseball games in a booth by myself. I never, ever had more respect for Vin Scully than the first time I called a baseball <laughs> game by myself. Holy mackerel. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I, you, you honestly couldn't picture Vince Scully being happier doing anything else, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's incredible that he did that for as long as he did. And it, it seems like even in his, his final, final days calling games, he, he was just as happy as this probably when he started. I mean, that, that's a true diehard, uh, you know, baseball guy, which is, which is just great. No question about it. Well, listen, coach, been an absolute pleasure as always now it's funny i i talked to you just before we came on live and i said you know i know you got a game tomorrow i'll, I'll try and shorten it up a little i i just enjoy talking to you too much I, I keep you hanging around for at least a half hour or more so again i appreciate your time it's been great and uh, look forward to seeing you at the coliseum tomorrow night that sounds great thanks for having me on scott always a pleasure sir appreciate your time thanks a lot we'll see you tomorrow all right take care that's Coach Joe Salerno from the Moncton Magic. Always great to talk to Coach. Just a reminder, again, the Moncton Magic next home game tomorrow night. It'll be at 7 p.m. Atlantic time at the Moncton Coliseum as they take on the Kitchener-Waterloo Titans. It should be a good one. Coach mentioned it. Don't look at the record. Kitchener-Waterloo, they've got a good team. And again, if you can't get out live, you can watch it via the Moncton Magic website. It's monctonmagic.ca and also... For five customers in Atlantic Canada, you can watch the game on Bell Align 5 TV Channel 1. I'm Scott Squires. Thank you very much once again for tuning in to the Magic Time Podcast. See you again soon. Have a great day. And remember, if you can't take part in sport, be a good one anyway. Thank you for listening to the Magic Time Podcast. Proudly presented by Firm Foundation Media.